Pitch by Messenger. Swing and a miss. And that's your ball game. Tampa and Rachel Balkovic picks up a opening night victory. A 9-6 final score. Balkovic wins her managerial debut. He's like, I felt so bad that I called around all these other teams that I know have open positions. And they also said that they had received your resume because I applied for everything. And basically that, that they said the same thing. They weren't hiring women. And so then it was like, okay, like game on, you know, this is, this is going to be a lot longer of a journey or harder of a journey than I thought. <laughs> If you had the chance to have a beer with your favorite baseball player, what would you talk about? Would you ask the same tired questions like every reporter after the game? How did you feel? What was going through your mind? Yada, yada, yada. Probably not. It's time you hear the stories that these players have never told. This is the Setup Man Podcast, where we have conversations that every fan wants to hear and the stories that every player and coach deserve to share. Let's get started. Hey, hey, Setup Man Nation. We're back for week two. If you missed week one, we released our first few episodes, including a sit down with Troy Gloss and Matt Strom. And I have been overwhelmed by the response from those of you that have been able to listen and give feedback, leave comments, reviews. Uh, It's been really fun to see how everyone's enjoying the content. We've had a lot of fun with it so far. I'm putting zero expectation on any of this because I just want to have cool conversations with major leaguers, current and former. And so far, it's been going just like that. Um, Now, if you haven't seen those episodes, go check them out at setupman.net. Also, while you're at setupman.net, take two seconds to subscribe to our list. Why? Because I'm going to be doing some giveaways once I start meeting more players. We're going to be getting signed balls, signed bats, signed jerseys, signed shirts. And we're going to give those away as a thank you to those of you that are listening to the show and participating. So if you are not already on that list, you're going to want to make sure that you are on that list. Once again, setupman.net. And remember to subscribe. I, I got to tell you, it is really that important. This is a brand new show. And the way that YouTube and the way that all these podcasts work is that the more engagement that you have, the more likely people are going to find it. And again, for me, This is not a business. This is a hobby. This is something I'm having fun with. And I care just about people being able to see and enjoy the content along with me. If I didn't want to have you enjoy it with me, I would have just gone ahead and met these players and took them out to lunch and hung out with them myself. But instead, I'm recording it. I'm giving it to you. And I want more of you to be able to see this content and hear from these players and the unique conversations that we're able to have with them. Like if you were listening to Troy Gloss's episode last week, how many of you knew that he had such struggles with his brain and so many struggles just within the four walls of his house? Like that's stuff that I didn't know about and was really excited to share with everyone, especially because it's turned around for him and things are going really well in his life now. And and those are the things that need to happen, or I guess the, the things that need to be done are reviewing and subscribing in order for other people to be able to hear and see these stories. And so all you have to do, whether you're on YouTube right now or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're at right now, just stop for two seconds, pause this, go subscribe, leave a review or leave a comment, and that will help us to be able to get more people engaged. Now, with that being said, I've been thinking a lot today about how I want to introduce this next guest because this is not your typical run-of-the-mill guest. This is not Troy Gloss. This is not Matt Strom. This is not Ted Lilly or any of the broadcasters that we're going to have on here in the month of October. This is going to be 
a female. This is Rachel Balkovic. She is the first ever female head manager in the minor leagues of baseball. Now, Kim Ng is the first general manager for a MLB team, which broke a huge barrier. Uh, Rachel Folden was one of the first hitting coaches. They're at, she's actually in the uh, Chicago Cubs organization. And I'm just going to be completely honest, like transparency here, guys. Change is not easy for anyone, including myself. When I first heard about Rachel Folden, not our guest today, Rachel Balkovic is our guest. Rachel Folden was a hitting coach for the Cubs. I was like, is this a publicity stunt? Like, what's going on here? But then you start meeting people like Rachel Balkovic. And I can say that she's a friend of mine now. I can call her up and we can have a conversation. One of the things I know about her is that she's goal-oriented. She's dedicated. She is tough. She's intense. She even admits that she's intense in this interview. And that's the kind of things that are needed in baseball, okay? Um, I would much rather have someone who's tough and intense and driven to win than someone coming with this huge background of winning World Series and being in the Hall of Fame and uh, just assuming that I deserve to be a manager now. I want someone that wants to win. I want someone that wants to bring that intensity. I want someone that cares just as much as the players and the fans. And I can tell you without a doubt, that is Rachel Balkovic. And just look at the way that her players treat her. When you watch, if you're watching on YouTube, watch some of the, the clips that we show from Rachel in these games and their players are hugging her and they're loving on her and they're high-fiving her. And there's, there's no animosity between all of them. Right. And it's because they want to play for a manager that they love. Right. When, when you have enjoyed uh, a season from your team, right. What it usually comes down to is that there's a manager on that team that those players love playing for. And I can tell you without a doubt, just from what I've learned from Rachel heard from Rachel and seen from all of the footage in these games that these players love playing for Rachel. Who wouldn't want to have a manager on their team that they know that their players are going to love playing for and not going to roll their eyes when they put out the lineup, right? That's what I want you to put at the forefront and come to this conversation, this interview that I had with Rachel Balkovic with an open mind, because guess what guys or gals, women are in baseball and it's here. I already mentioned a few of them, Kim Ng, Rachel Folden. They're here, all right? This is something that I don't care what you think about. Uh, you know, you, you might think back to, like, you know, when, when there was segregation uh, and Jackie Robinson came into play. Do you think all of the, the fans were excited about that? Did you think that maybe they thought, hey, you know, this is just a publicity stunt? Now, think about the game today. Could you imagine if only white guys played in the game? There'd be no Pujols, there'd be no Griffey, there'd be no Shohei Otani. Can you imagine the game without those guys? And that's that's really where we're at when it comes to females being in this sport. And who knows what the future is going to hold. But I just wanted to, to share all that really from the heart here to start off because I don't know where females are going to be playing a role 10 years from now. It could be a bigger role, it could be non-existent, who knows. But what I do know is that Rachel Balkovic who you're going to hear from right now, uh, she doesn't have a Y chromosome. Okay, guys? We have Y chromosomes. She does not. But she has the intensity. She has the toughness. She has the mindset to be a successful minor league and maybe even eventually major league manager. And the story behind it is really, really cool. So sit back, relax, listen in with an open mind, and I can't wait to hear what you all have to say. I know, by the way, that a lot of you are going to probably have some 
some controversial things to say. We already posted something on Instagram a couple weeks ago with a clip from this interview, and there was there was good and there was bad in the comments. So be open, be honest, comment with what you truly think. However, I just encourage you and challenge you all to come with an open mind. Let's hear from Rachel Balkovic right now here on the Setup Man podcast. All right, Rachel Balkovic, excited to have you on. Um, I mean, you are just an inspiration to a lot of people. First woman for not only strength and conditioning, hitting coach and manager uh, for probably the most prestigious organization to ever put on a jersey. I mean, um, very excited to have you here on the podcast. So just want to thank you for your time. Yeah, I'm honored to be, I think, the first guest, at least the first recording. So um, I'm honored to be on, and I, I think that it's it's always fun to share a little piece of my story. I want to start off, first of all, uh, with a, a real fun fact that I found out about you, and that is that you have your master's in biomechanics, and you studied in Amsterdam. Is that right? That's true. That's yeah, I, I wouldn't, crazy. for any biomechanist listening to this, I'm not a biomechanist. Okay. But my degree, yeah, was in, I, I, it's called human movement sciences, and I would categorize it as neuroscience and biomechanics, but that makes me sound a lot smarter than I actually am. I was going to say, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> you've, you've got bigger muscles than most MLB players, which comes with more of like a uh, meathead mentality, but you are, uh, you, you got the brains too, apparently. <laughs> well, like I said, it's, it sounds more fancy than it is. And by the way, uh, like, what's the workout regimen? Because seriously, your guns, they... <laughs> um I mean it's just honestly just consistently moving you know and and I I've lifted heavy weight for a long time but it's just I feel like I'm not in great shape shape but I've been being very consistent for 15 years (laughs) so that's that helps very cool well we're gonna have a fun conversation um you know especially with I, I can't imagine I'm going to be having a, another woman on here in a long time, because when we think about yeah. the world of baseball, there's just not many women in it. But I mean, you have literally, uh, you're like the Jackie Robinson of women, right? Like you, you have broken a barrier that uh, I'm sure you've heard it again and again, but I just, I just want to know, like, do you still even a, a year and a half later after being assigned to this job, like still have pinch me moments? I mean, and yes and no, you know, every day I think about it, I think about it every, every single day. I, I can't not think about it. And if I forget to think about it, I get reminded after the game when there's little girls asking for my signature. And so mm. um, I'm reminded every day, even if I, if, I, if I am so busy that I just lose it. But I, I think about it every single day, whether that's because I, you know, they're the locker rooms still aren't built for women and it's an awkward situation to navigate the clubhouse or because um, a fan tells me that I need to smile more or because I just reflect on it. You know, I refl- reflect on it daily, um, especially during the national anthem. I usually, it's almost like a meditation for me, like, mm. cr- you know, crazy busy day and practice. And then the game hits and they play the national anthem. And I just think about how fortunate I am to have these freedoms as a woman in this country um, so yeah, I think about it all the time and on, on the flip side of that, it's just my job. <laughs> so I just, I forget sometimes cause I yeah. just am doing my job. Is there anything in particular, especially after, after being in this for over a year now that you've just been like, wow, I, I, I didn't think that this would still be going on. I figured people would be over this by now, or there's still, or have you been able to get past maybe some of the, um, 
you know, the things that come along with being the very first. I think it's, it's broader. It's more so like I'm 12 years into my baseball career. You know, my first year is 2012 and I can't believe some things are still happening or there are still clubhouses that just don't accommodate women being in them at all. Um, and it's been 12 years since I've been around. And also just to give credit where credit's due, the very first woman to be hired full-time, like in a staff position was um, a physical therapist. Her name's Sue Falsoni. Um, she was hired in 2009 and, you know, not an on-field coach role by any means, but still just, that was impactful for me. So just so, just so we're clear with the yeah. whole, who was the first, I guess, um, because she was a huge inspiration for me to do what I'm doing. Um, and so she's been around since 2009, which means clubhouses are still not able to accommodate a woman, which is crazy. You know, that's, that's really the biggest thing. A year, year and a half, like change takes time, a lot of time. And I've been witness to it. So it's not something that I dwell on or get frustrated about, but yeah, there are some moments where I'm like, did that just happen? Like how, how am I over a decade into my career? And that was just said to me, or this isn't mm. a place for me, or I don't belong here. Or a fan tells me to smile more. You're just like, have you coached 20 year olds? Cause you don't smile very much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, I want to get into it a little bit, but like literally every time I watch any highlights of your games, you're, you're all you're cheesing it like you're you love smiling <laughs> and so good that's good I, I, I mean, don't yeah, know intense moments but I try to have fun but it's also like it's you know it's a professional baseball game at the end of the day and I'm a professional yeah. head coach so <laughs> there are tense moments too yeah absolutely well I want to go back to young Rachel and um I I found this in in kind of talking to you but also online you know the uh the goal was actually for you to, you said you wanted to be an NFL kicker. You want to be the first NFL kicker. <laughs> Do you remember saying that? Yeah, I remember. I remember the day. And um, I remember that my fourth grade teacher laughed at me. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I just said I wanted to be the first female kicker in the NFL. And I wish I could just channel my 10 year old self because I have no idea why I said that or how that even came to my brain. And not only that I wanted to kick in the NFL, but I said I wanted to be the first female. And I don't, I don't know why. I don't know. I was 10, you know, I don't know why I was hell bent on being a trailblazer at age 10. Um, but I do, you know, I imagine it had something to do with me already playing sports at that age. And um, there were some impactful things going on for women's sports at that time. You know, the 99ers with women's soccer was happening. And I was seeing these really strong female images and videos and role models. And I'm not sure if I even at that age understood that there are going to be different opportunities for me than my male classmates, you know? Mm, that's awesome. Where did the the love for sports, especially baseball come from for you? Um, not so much baseball. It was just always softball growing up. And I, I like to key in on that. You know, I, I didn't play baseball and I actually, you could have, I could have never named you all 30 teams of major league baseball probably until like my college years, but I was so keyed in on softball. And again, I was so fortunate that, probably my age group and I'm 35 um, was the first time when we were growing up at age 10, like I could watch women's softball on television hmm. and that wasn't a thing before. So I was watching college softball. Like I wasn't watching baseball, you know? So I was softball through and through and I watched college baseball when it was in town. Cause I'm from Omaha. And so the college world series is in Omaha. So I would watch baseball then, but I didn't even really think twice about it being different you know and then 
baseball came around when I was in college and then at LSU, just understanding a little bit more about professional baseball specifically. And it is such an onion. Like it's so many, literally it's so many levels and layers with the minor league system. Right. And then when you add in the Latin American piece, and so most people don't know, but we sign our, our Latin American players age 16 in the Dominican Republic or in Venezuela, mm. or some yeah. people from Panama or from Colombia. But those guys, like you see them in the big leagues and no one has any idea where they come from. So as soon yeah. as I started learning more about truly the business and just the levels and layers of professional baseball, I became really interested in player development, which is the minor league system. And so that was kind of the college years. And then when I was at LSU and LSU is a powerhouse for baseball and they have been for a very long time, I started, you know, guys coming back in their off season, learning and hearing what they were saying. And just, you know, I really wanted to sink my teeth in. So that's where professional baseball really came from. But I can't say that I've been a true blue fan of any kind um, growing up because I was a fan of softball. Which is super interesting because I think a lot of people would listen in and be like, wow, you know, someone who says at an early age, you know, I'm going to be an NFL kicker or, or, you know, wanting to break a barrier like that, you know, might think you've been working your entire life to become a, a professional coach, but really you're telling me it was more of, I just knew I wanted to be different and baseball eventually kind of became the thing that you became the most interested in. I would say I worked my entire life. Like I thought I was going to be, you know, on the Olympic team for softball, mm. you know, like I worked my entire life until you know, into my college years, thinking that I was going to somehow miraculously make a living off of playing professional softball, which is still not a thing, <laughs> you know, which is funny, like, but, but that all of that work wasn't in vain, right? That was teaching me about sports and high level competition and getting the scholarship and earning that and whatever. And then when I hit a roadblock there, it's like, of course, just like any athlete, male or female, but for women, it happens often in college, because you go, oh, there's really not an opportunity for me to make money doing this until this year with the NIL, until the WNBA really gained traction in the past few years, which I'm not even sure most of those players are still not making a living playing professional women's basketball. All that to say, for women, it happens a lot sooner than for men. They might have um, that chance to play professional sports and make a living, but at some point everyone goes, okay, what am I going to do next? You know, so um, I would say I worked my whole life to play softball at a high level, got to division one softball. And when you're in that career going, okay, what's happening next? Yeah. Um, then all of my efforts actually were directed at being a professional coach, really just really from the start of my professional aspirations. Um, it was always to be in professional baseball. That's awesome. So you, you played over in New Mexico and then did LSU happen right after you graduated or tell me about that transition to working over at LSU? Um, I'll dive in a little deeper there because I think just so many, so many parts of my story. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I went to LSU, one of the best athletic departments in the entire country. It was right. easy. Right. Like it wasn't that easy. Right. So I um, as I was finishing at LSU, I did an unpaid internship at um, it was the premier training facility in the country at the time. And it still is good, but at the time it was like everyone was trained there, like Pedroia was trained there, Manny Ramirez trained there, like it was the big deal. Um, it was called Athletes Performance, now it's called Exos. Right. Um, so I went to Athletes Performance and did an unpaid internship. It just so happened that my roommate was um, a javelin thrower at LSU, and we became friends. And she kind of, you know, she was like, hey, you should come back to Baton Rouge with me one weekend. We were in um, Pensacola, Florida. And I was like, oh yeah, sounds good. And so she introduced me to her strength coach at LSU. 
um, as a track athlete. And then I hit it off with them. And then I waited an entire year and I worked three jobs to save up money because as we all know, as a graduate assistant, you don't make a lot of money. So I waited a year and I worked three jobs and I was able to get on at LSU as a graduate assistant, which was truly life-changing because the standards there are so high and it was such a good environment for me to really cut my teeth as a coach. Nice. And when you're talking about coaching, this is all within the strength and conditioning coaching world, right? Yeah. At the time it was strength and conditioning. Okay. So, uh, you know, that, that whole path from going from Exos to LSU and then moving up to eventually the MLB or the, at least the, uh, the professional sports, what did that look like? So I was at LSU and, um, yeah, I, I'll never, I won't for, ever forget the day that I realized that there are no women working in professional sports because yeah. I was so naive, right? To this point, I had, like I said, I, I mean, I worked my whole life. I had gotten a scholarship to play Division One athletics. I was able to get a great internship. I was able to get a great graduate assistantship at a high-level school. I was working with baseball and softball at LSU. Both of them were in the College World Series when I was there, like really great programs. And so um, I was like, you know, I really, I think I want to, my graduate assistantship is coming to an end in about a year. I'm preparing to see where I want to go next. Let me apply in professional baseball. So I go online, I'm looking for jobs. And I just noticed that all of the names, it was like, you know, contact this person or send your resume here or whatever. It was all men. Mm. And so I was just, I was like, hmm. so I walk into my, my boss's office, who was also a woman at the time. Um, she's a co-director of strength and conditioning at LSU still. And I said, no, you know, is it, I said, is there any, you know, are there any women working in uh, professional baseball uh, as a strength coach? And she just laughed at me. Wow. And she was like, she's like, there are no women working anywhere in men's professional sports as a coach. Like, what are you talking about? You know, I was like, oh, I was so naive. I was like, oh, okay. And I just like, I thought, well, you know, I mean, well, they'll, they'll hire me, right? Because my resume is so great. I've got this great internship. I've got this great graduate assistantship. I play division one softball. Like I have a good young person's resume. Right. And uh, I was so naive to what was actually going on. It's just, they were, they weren't willing to hire women. It's not like they weren't qualified women coaches or strength coaches or athletic trainers. They just weren't hiring women. So Anyway, long story short, I applied, I applied, nothing really back. I wasn't thinking anything of it at the time. I just thought, well, I'm a young person. You, you know, you apply for a million jobs, just how it goes. Yeah. So finally, the Cardinals called LSU looking for a just summer internship. Basically, it was like four or five months or less. Okay. And um, they were like, hey, do you have a, somebody um, as an intern? Like, we're, they were kind of desperate. It was like late, kind of spring training time. And the LSU strength coach was like, yeah, we do have somebody and, you know, they work with baseball and softball here and they were a catcher in college and they do a great job and it's a woman. What do you think? You know, and I, um, I guess they just were willing to take a leap of faith and, and hire wow. me. So they did hire me as a seasonal intern, basically um, making, I think it was 1200 bucks a month um, with obviously no benefits or anything. And I wasn't going to turn that down. So jumped at the chance and kind of got, I think that that was my first big break. Cause at the time, again, there were, there were zero women uh, working on field in any capacity. Wow. I mean, one of the parts of the story that you left out is you also were starting to apply for these jobs with a different name because you were so worried about them worrying about, or them saying, Hey, this is, this is a woman. And you just wanted to get phone calls. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? 
So that was even after I got an internship with the Cardinals. Really? Okay. So I did, I completed my internship and you know, it's, it's an internship. So anyone who's done an internship knows at the end, they're like, all right, we'll let you know if we have something full time. And for in baseball, it's all right, we'll let, you know, we'll call you in five months when, when the season's, you know, when we know, and you can't ever wait for that. And I also um, wanted to go back to school. So I, I moved to Phoenix and I was thinking, well, I'll, you know, I'll get an internship in Phoenix where there are 15 teams based in Phoenix. And uh, basically I applied for, I think it was, you know, something like 12 to 15 open jobs and um, got nothing back, but I still was so naive that I just was like, oh, wow, these jobs are really competitive, you know? And finally a team again in spring training, probably just desperate called me and said, you know, Hey, are you still interested? Cause somebody just quit and we need somebody quickly. And it was still another internship, you know, very low pay. And I was like, yeah, of course, let's do it. So we went through the interview process and he was like, you know, you're the person we want to hire. And then um, I basically never heard from him again. And I was like, this is weird. And then several, like three, four weeks later, an awkward amount of time after I had followed up, of course, after he verbally offered me a job, um, an awkward amount of time passed. And he finally called me and just was like, hey, I feel horrible, but I want to let you know what you're up against. Um, I wanted to hire you, I brought your, I brought your materials and your presentation to the, um, you know, front office. And they just said they weren't willing to hire a woman in the role. And I was like, oh, wow. uh, like my, finally my naivete like went away. I was like, oh, okay. Like there's actually discrimination going on here. And then he was like, I was like, well, you know, thank you for at least being honest. Like that's highly illegal, but I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> and he was like, well, it gets worse. And I was like, how could this possibly get worse? You just literally told me you were discriminated against me. He was like, I felt so bad that I called around all these other teams that I know have open positions. And they also said that they had received your resume because I applied for everything. And basically that, that they said the same thing, they weren't hiring women. And so then it was like, okay, like game on, you know, yeah. this is, this is going to be a lot longer of a journey or harder of a journey than I thought, because there's just blatant discrimination going on here. And no matter how good my resume is, doesn't matter because of my gender. So Anyway, I sat out that year of baseball and I, I just had this like feeling of, I wanted to do it just cause I wanted to be, you know, just the career path that I chose, but also like, now it's like, oh, okay. Tell me I can't I'll do something. I'll be I'm seeing you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll be seeing you. Yeah. I'm not leaving. Wow. So I, uh, I just, I sat out that year. I decided to forego like another, um, and it was going to be another master's degree. I decided to forego it and just go all in. And so I got another unpaid internship at Arizona State University while I was like working at Lululemon and waitressing at the same time. And then um, the fall came around and I was able to snag an internship from the White Sox for $30 a day, which in Phoenix was gas money to get there. And it was 30 bucks a day to like babysit the weight, like weight room monitor for one of their fall, um, tournaments they have and so I snagged that internship and then you know finally it got so late in that next off season and I still wasn't able to find anything um so late that I had accepted another internship elsewhere and finally the Cardinals called me out of the blue and and offered me to come back full-time wow so really they really like swooped in because I I had nothing you know wow. so they hired me back full-time after a year of being out. And that's when I really like was, I guess, in, if you will. 
Um, so they hired me as their strength and conditioning coordinator, um, overseeing 10 strength coaches and 200 athletes. And so you got to think like, I wasn't even getting phone calls for like low level internships and the Cardinals, after having seen my work, were willing to trust me with that job. So that was, that was the big break, you know? So after all of these, you know, internships, which it just sounds like you were in the hall of fame of interns, right? Like you had done all of these internships, you're getting paid close to nothing. You're getting tons of rejection. Like how many different times did you think to yourself, is this really ever going to happen for me? Um, on one hand, a lot, you know, like there were a lot of tears shed that year and I remember it. Um, and, and along that way, that year where I had to sit out a year, I also was getting offers or getting calls on jobs for women's sports. And I remember talking with my parents, there were eight different division one universities that contacted me. I didn't even apply, right? I was getting contacted because of my LSU connection um, for eight different jobs at division one, like really good jobs. And my parents were like, honey, um, are you sure you don't want to just interview for these? Right. And I was like, yeah, but all I'm going to do is think that I sold out. And mm. I know there's a reason why women aren't getting opportunities and I know it, and I know I can do the job. And if I don't do it, then who's going to come behind me and go through all this shit to get it done. Yeah. And so I just knew that I would, you know, accept a job, go, go, you know, work with women's sports, sit down at my desk and then be looking for jobs in baseball. Like, what's the point of taking that? Right. And I even like, I mean, it was so commonplace that women weren't being hired for men's sports that people were blatantly, to, I'd be like, okay, well, I'll accept this job, but I need at least one men's sport so I can keep that on my resume, like oh, soccer, golf, anything. Can I just get a men's sport? And they were like, we can't do that. And I thought, okay, like if, if this is happening, I just owe it to myself. And like I said, you know, from a global standpoint, it's like, man, I know that I have this great resume and the ability to do this. I've already done an internship with the St. Louis Cardinals and I still can't get a job. What other woman's going to come along with the resume that I have and the ability that I have like and do it it's just so I just I felt like a duty I was like I'm just gonna do this and uh, thankfully again the Cardinals came to my rescue if you will um well and hired and, me full-time and you use the word rescue but it, it sounds like you were given finally given that opportunity but you proved yourself right yeah I mean right the the first real break was like I said the internship with them where you know, they, they really took a leap and it's always interesting that every, every man that's really been integral and integral in my hirings, always it's like, okay, my boss with the Cardinals, his name was Pete Prinzi. And he's like, I don't care if you're a woman, like my mom, she was high up at General Motors. She was the only woman in the boardroom. She was, she owned her own yoga business. She did her thing. Like she was this really independent mom. And he married this, this woman who had, was one of the first women to go to scout school and was in the front office for baseball. And like, he he saw women as capable of these jobs and like didn't care you know and so i just got i'd say lucky that there was somebody there at the time when i was ready to be in the game that was accepting and and willing to give me that opportunity well i i think there's a, a few things that i take away from this for just anyone that and putting baseball aside right like just the desire to want to be the best at what you're doing or the desire to want to actually do something 
uh, for yourself and not worrying about what everyone else says, right? Like you, you had this resume that was, let's be honest, more attractive than probably most men that were getting the jobs. And you could have easily said no, but you just kept on saying there's gonna, there's gotta be someone that's ready to take a risk on me. And with that desire and that determination, like you finally found someone you could use the word lucky. You could use the word blessed. You could use fate, like whatever word you want to use, but it happened and, and you were deserving. And now you've taken full advantage of just everything I'm seeing is every step you're taking is now leading to something else. It's no accident that you're at where you're at. Yeah. I mean, there's like, you know, anytime, anytime that something really great happens, there also has to be, you know, behind Jackie Robinson, there's Branch Ricky. You know, and there is no Jackie Robinson without Branch Ricky, which I'm, I'm almost more fascinated with Branch Ricky knowing my path is like, yeah, I, I know that I did the work, but there still had to be the person willing to give me an opportunity that was a risk. And I'll never know. I will never know how much shit he got for hiring me Yeah, back in the day, you know, and still now, but for sure, then I'm plenty of people I'm sure were thinking, what are you, you know, and saying, what are you doing? You know, have you ever thought about asking him? Um, he, he, I don't know if he would tell me, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Even my bosses for the Yankees, they're like, who cares? Like, we know, we know what you do in your work. Like anything that anyone says is just speculation, you yeah. know? Yeah. Okay. So there's more steps to this because now you're full-time with the Cardinals as strength and conditioning, but there's still another step or two to where you're at now. So just help me fill that gap. So... I'll preface it with this. I, if I read my first cover letter to you to get into baseball, I say in the cover letter, I want to be a part of moving baseball forward. And that has nothing to do with my gender, right? It's like literally just improving the conditions for players, improving player development, um, being innovative in the way that we train players and the way that they practice and the way that they play, et cetera, being innovative in even marketing and business side of things, you know? And so I've always been in baseball to change it, if you will. Um, aside from put everything about my gender aside, that's not even the change I'm talking about. So, you know, when you get in as a strength and conditioning coach, or, you know, when you enter your career in any way, you're like, I'm going to change the world. And then you realize that, um, the people with the money at the top change the world mm. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. And so you, you get in with this fervor and I did too. And I just basically realized after six or seven seasons, um, as a strength coach, I thought, okay, I need to, I need to pivot and get my voice into different rooms. And so I basically quit at the end of 2018. I was with the Cardinals for three seasons. I was with the Astros for three seasons, all as strength and conditioning coach. And then I went back to school. I, I moved to Amsterdam. I sold all of my positions. I got rid of my car. I literally moved to Europe and, and did that with three suitcases. And uh, I did that because the leading researcher in the entire world for eye tracking is in Amsterdam. Um, his name is David Mann, and he is a professor at a university there. And so I had it's one, another one of those forks in the road where I had kind of the easy, comfortable choice, which was USC and LA and California. And I love California. I love sun. I love LA. Yeah. And the other option was Amsterdam. And if any, you know anything about cold. Amsterdam, it's Little very cold. cold, very <laughs> rainy. It's like Seattle, except they have the canals and the bikes and the old buildings and you might think wow that's really cool and it totally is until it's january and it's 35 and it's raining outside and you've got a bike to school 30 minutes each way 
that's not cool. And so I spent a year in Amsterdam and I would say that I probably need to revisit that country and that city uh, as a tourist and not as a broke um, mm. college student. So <laughs> moved there, depleted my entire life savings, uh, moved home to Seattle. Um, and I moved to Seattle to do my research and eye tracking for hitters. So basically there's a device that you can put on a, a hitters um, just glasses basically. And they can track you can track their eye and their pupil movements and see where they're looking and uh, how big the pupil is getting and without getting too much into like neuroscience, basically sure. that's really important because it just tells you how hitters are able to hit a 96 mile per hour fastball with movement. Wow. So I did that research at driveline baseball in Seattle, which is a premier um, baseball training facility. You'll hear it mentioned. Oh yeah. Often. They're big time. Yeah. yeah. You'll hear it mentioned often if, if you're a baseball fan. So I did my research there. So I basically chose yet again to go to the best university in the entire world for what I wanted to study and get my my mentor for my research project um, to be the best researcher in the world. And then I moved to the best um, training facility in the world in driveline baseball to do my research. And I also learned a ton there. Um, and while I was there, the Yankees hired me as a minor league hitting coach. And that was kind of um, both again both hopefully me setting myself up for that, but also Dylan Lawson, who is the current major league hitting coach for the Yankees. He was um, a minor league hitting coach with the Astros when I was a strength coach there. Mm. And I would call him, he was always a friend and, and definitely a mentor of me asking dumb hitting questions. Like, you know, I, I hit in softball, but as a coach, knowing the intricacies is totally different. So when I was with the Astros, I was, constantly learning from him. I was sitting in on meetings. I was looking at what they were doing, asking him questions. And he pushed me towards eye tracking and learning and reading the research on it and understanding how important it was. And, and so he became a mentor of mine. And then he knew that I obviously was going to Europe and he pitched the idea to me while I was there of becoming a hitting coach. And then he hired me and That's awesome. the rest is literally history. Was there any moment as you were quitting to go back to school of like am i closing a door right now yeah i and i slammed it shut wow reason i being, knew i was never going back reason being um i just knew the industry of it's like like i said strength and conditioning coaches and trainers are um critical pieces of the operation yeah really important people um, but they have very, they have very small voices when it comes to making decisions, you know? And so I just knew that there was more autonomy that I wanted. There was more voice that I wanted. And, um, I knew that the move was probably either going to be getting into the front office immediately or going to an on-field position where you're kind of like, I'm a step closer to player development to, and I don't want to say that strength and conditioning is not important. Um, cause I spent a long time doing that, but like, you know, hitting is more valuable than strength and conditioning, or it's viewed to be more valuable. And so to learn that side of things and learn evaluation from that, from that standpoint, not just from the physical raw, you know, power standpoint was really important. And so it'll, that's kind of like the, the grand plan is to take that and use the information and the experiences that I have as an on-field coach, then when I move to the front office and hopefully become a general manager someday in the future, I have this breadth of experience, right? Um, and I, I'm a generalist by by nature. So it's I just something that I'm not interested in being the most elite thinker in one area. I wanna be 
a good thinker in a, in a lot of areas. So what was, what was like, and eye tracking has become actually a really popular thing. Like I'm, I'm a huge Cubs fan. I notice Ian Happ is one of the guys that will literally do an eye tracking exercise. I remember Mark McGuire was one of the first ones where he would just sit on deck and he would just stare at one piece of grass right from the on deck circle. And that was how he got prepared. What's one thing that you learned through that whole process of going back to school and, and studying eye tracking that you just feel like made you so overqualified, let's use that word, to be a, uh, a hitting coach in, in the minor leagues? Oh, um, I'm going to, I'm going to like zoom out and go a little general here is me like being able to do research with numbers and like nerdy glasses and computers. Um, that gave me a really solid foundation in understanding the brain as it relates to somebody's ability to recognize a pitch. Um, and that foundational knowledge, and it's really a philosophy, right? Like there's there's the swing and people are really, they're, they're religious about their beliefs about the swing, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm religious about the, my beliefs on like the brain and training approach and training. Um, I don't want to call it vision, but perception and recognition. Um, and so it gave me the foundational philosophy and knowledge that allowed me to be hired by somebody who also has that philosophy and really taught it to me, you know, and Dylan Lawson. Yeah. Um, and so that made me qualified to be a coach who aligned with him. And I would say like the coaching aspect is something I've done to that point I had done for 10 years. Right. So there's like the art of coaching and what you're coaching, like yeah. the subject matter. And so that gave me the subject matter. And I already had a coaching background for 10 years. So coaching is a, is a universal like thing. And then once you have the subject matter that you're coaching, as you know, because you are a coach, you know, mm -hmm. to some degree, so right. there's coaching tactics and, and the art of coaching. And then there's a subject matter that you are coaching. And so my 10 years of coaching background and my experience in professional baseball, along with that subject matter, then maybe qualified to work under specifically, I would say Dylan, because our philosophies aligned. That's awesome. I don't know if that really made sense. No, it, it does. It does. The, the whole idea of eye tracking is just so fascinating to me. I remember hearing about when I was in high school, how some players would literally write a number on a ball and put it in the machine and have to track instead of swinging at the ball to have to actually read the number and I remember trying that once and just being like, this is why I'll never be a major league baseball player. <laughs> that number. Yeah. Uh, but okay. So without getting too off topic, let's go back to 2019. Then you get hired by Dylan. Um, was it with uh, the Tampa Tarpons or was it with a different part of the minor league system for. Um, I was with the, our, we, it's just our complex league or our rookie league. So my okay. first year was with um, rookie league, my first two years really with COVID you know, so my first two years, I was a complex coach or rookie league coach. And then last year was uh, my first year with the Tarpons as a manager. Did you think, you know, I mean, it took what, about two and a half, three years for you to go from hitting coach to actual manager of this now single A team. Did you think at the time when you got hired as the hitting coach, that that was the next step or what, what were the expectations? No. When, yeah, <laughs> go, go ahead, go ahead. No. And I guess it's like, 
you know, like you said, people might think, oh, you've been working your whole life to be a manager. And it's like, this isn't the end goal, you know? So I haven't been working my whole life to be a manager. I've been working, I was working my whole life to be a softball player, right? And then I was working my whole, my whole, all my energy was in being a professional coach, strength coach, right? And then all my energy was crossing over and being a hitting coach. And I was focused on being a hitting coach, you know? And also, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I just didn't think that they were going to put a woman in that role, mm. you know, based on a hundred plus years of history of that not happening. And I just thought that wasn't a role that they were going to put me in. Not that I consciously said that or that I'm saying anything bad about the Yankees. I just, it wasn't on my mind, if that makes sense. Right. So they approached me about it. And as soon as they said it, it made sense. Um, because again, I'm a generalist, right? So I like to be able to kind of dip my hands into a lot of different things and zoom out and have a big picture and watch the whole game and not just be focused on one thing. When I'm, when I'm focused on one thing, I'm always like, Oh, what's going on over there? You know, like, that's, yeah. I kind of get distracted. I'm like, little well, shiny objects doing? like, I want to go in that meeting. I want to know what they know, you know? And so yeah. that really lends itself to being a manager because you are, you're kind of right. You get to see all the meetings yeah. and hear everything. Did you at any point, say like, wow, not only am I getting hired as a hitting coach for this organization and now at the uh, the helm of the single A team, but this isn't just any organization. This is the freaking Yankees. Yeah, but I will point out, like I'll give the Yankees credit is they, they have two women, excuse me, they have one woman right now who's been with the organization for I might get my facts wrong, but 25 years as their top legal counsel. And I think she's talking, she's an assistant general manager um, and she's their legal counselor. Her name's Jean Afterman. She is a badass. Like, do not mess with her. Okay. Nice. Uh, if you've done, if you've done the legal side of stuff for the Yankees for 20 plus years, you're a badass. And then there's also, I mean, they hired Kim Eng, who is now the acting general manager for the, not acting, she is the general manager for the Miami Marlins. Yeah. Brian Cashman hired her in 2003, I think, as one of their scouts. And she was like there for the heyday of the Yankees and was a huge, you know, a huge part of that. And, you know, Cashman said it in, in the press conference when it was released with me. He said, I wish this wasn't a big deal. He was like, I was saying in the press conference for Kim Ang when we hired her that I wish it wasn't a big deal. And now 20 years later, I was still wish it wasn't a big deal. So I'm not the first like rogue hire that they've made. Um, and I know that like, Cashman and Hal and like uh, Kevin Reese, who's our vice president of, of baseball operations, don't care. You know, they're like, we don't care. Wow. And you help us win. Okay. No one cares. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes these GMs and everyone get kind of seen as hard asses. So it's kind of cool to, to see that Brian Cashman has that kind of mindset of who cares. I don't, I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Um yeah. All right, let's talk about a real big day in your life. April 8th, 2022, your first game as the head of the Tampa Tarpons. Um, just like, what do you remember about that day? Aside from winning. That was a, that was a whirlwind. Um, yeah. I, just, I remember my parents being there. And I think that's like, you almost, at some, at some point you do things, or I'll just speak for myself. There are certain things I do now, and I, I'm more happy that my parents get to like see me do it and get to enjoy that for them okay. because it's their work, you know? So I remember mm -hmm. my parents being there, um, the team, you know, it was like a really special situation where I had a lot of those players the year before, even with 
in rookie ball. And so I already had established relationships. And so they were kind of like, we're getting this win for you, you know, kind of like we're doing it for you tonight. And like they, oh, cool. you know, one of the, one of the kids who I'm, I'm close with hit a grand slam to put us ahead and like, just yeah. kind of, it was like a fairy tale situation and um, a good crowd showed up, which never happens in our league. Uh, we don't get a lot of fans in our league. Um, so it was just really, it was special. And it was just like, for me personally, it was like, okay, I've crested the hill. Cause I think until that point, there was a lot of negative talk. And when I was announced as a manager, something happened like in the world, you know, in society where there was a lot more celebration of women in sports. And when it came out that I was my manager, there was so much celebration. Wow. You know, that wasn't there before. And I, I could feel it, you know, so it was a little bit of a cresting a hill for me in my career, 10 years in the third time making history. I finally, you know, I finally felt like it was being celebrated and not, um, you know, joked about or swept under the rug or, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I hate to continue to, to use the Jackie Robinson comparison, but I mean, you know, when Jackie Robinson came on the scene, it was not that it was not celebration. It was a lot of animosity and a lot of, um, we, we, we all know, I mean, he was, he was really, uh, just, embarrassed by a lot of people because they could not believe that a black man was playing. Was it surprising to you that celebration was the reaction? It was really surprising because mm. when I was hired as the hitting coach, um, it wasn't, it was a lot, you know, just like the overall reaction. And to be honest with you, it's still not totally, especially behind closed doors in the game. Um, I don't think people, a lot of people don't know that I've been around for so long and I have a lot of friends. And so there's just a lot of people that still don't want women in the game and particularly I think target me at times because I was the first or because I am on social media or whatever the reason, you know, yeah. my name comes up a lot with animosity inside of the game. And I, I do think, again, to your point, like Jackie Robinson's book, if, if somebody listening to this, any baseball person listening to this, if you haven't read it, um, I never had it made is the title of his book or one of his books anyway. Great. I mean, I cry, I cry reading that book. Again, I don't, I'm not Jackie Robinson, but because I have the same feelings, right? Like he, we look at Jackie Robinson and he's like this feel good, like just inspiration and everybody wears his number every year. And, you know, and like he had a hellish career and oh, yeah. it was hell for him and his wife and he had to hide and was jeered and his teammates signed a petition to say that they would not play with him. Wow. Yeah. And thankfully, I think it was uh, Ricky, Branch Ricky was like, you guys are fucking playing with him. Yeah. And like, people don't know this, you know, it's like, we look at him now and like, he's this iconic figure, but he talks about in the book, like I never had it made. It was, it was hell. It was hard. It was, he like quit his last year when he didn't have to, because he was just like, I'm, I'm just done. It's been so exhausting. And it's been so hard on him and his wife, Rachel, that I'm just done, you know? So I relate to that, you know, yeah. it's like, it had, it's, it was surprising when there was so much celebration because I was like, oh, this is different. Like, this feels different. I don't feel like I have to apologize for being the, fir the first to do something or I have to be quiet. Um, so I think that there's, there's a shift in society that's also allowed me to, sure. first of all, just be here and, and, you know, at the same time also be celebrated. Yeah. Well, and, and let's, let's be honest, you know, uh, even though racism has progressed, uh, 
there's also this whole idea or not idea. I mean, there's, there's still real racism and there's still real discrimination out there. And so I don't know that even if all 30 teams had, you know, female managers that there would ever be fully discrimination to the wayside. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping um, that progress is just the goal at the moment, right? Like there can never be perfection, but there can be progress. Yeah, there's there's been a ton of progress. I mean, there's been it's unreal. I mean, the first the first woman, like I mentioned, Sue Falsoni, she was hired in 09, and there was another athletic trainer hired somewhere along the way, maybe 2010 or something. And then when I was hired full time in 2014, I was the only Sue was out. I was the only on field professional of any kind, female. And that three years later, they hired. You know, another team hired a woman strength coach. Mm-hmm. So there were two of us, like, until like 2018, you know. And then there was like a lot of like as strength coaches and trainers, because that's acceptable. Then that was like getting more accepted. And then like 19, again, I was hired as a hitting coach. Then there were three of us. And there were, now there's 30, you know, yeah. now, now there's so many. Um, and so there has been progress just in the opportunities that are available and it's, but I do, I always am quick to say, you know, that doesn't mean that change is actually happen happening in people's hearts. That takes decades. Sure. Like you can hire a woman all you want, but for people to actually genuinely change their mind, it takes, what I think it actually takes is, you know, these players that I'm working with, I know maybe not now because they're 21. Right. But in 10 years when they're more mature, and somebody says something like, oh, you played for that woman manager. They're like, yeah, she was a badass. Like, shut up. Yeah. You know, like you're an idiot. Like that, that's, that's where, but that takes so long. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Well, so, and, and it's so good to hear that you had the support and it's so good to hear the celebration, but like, let's be honest, that first game, going back to that first game, you're smiling after every run, almost like there's this like weight lifted off your shoulder. And then as soon as that game is done, right, you're going, you're hugging your teammates in your mind. Was that like, I've got something to prove and this is a must win. Or was it just the start of, of a career? Just the start. I I feel like I, I don't know if I'll ever feel like I've proven myself Mm. probably partly because of who I am, but partly because every time I feel like I've proven myself, I hear, I hear about somebody talking shit about me, talking shit about how I don't belong here. Or, you know, every time I feel like I've proven myself, it's, well, she hasn't done this or she did this or this isn't, you know, so I don't know if I'll ever really like, there are two, there are two, like there's an angel and devil on my shoulder, right? There's the angel that's like, this is amazing. You're doing a great job. You've done so much. You should be proud. And then there's this one that's like, I can't wait till my career is over because it's been so hard and there's no way for me to actually ever prove myself. It's impossible. So what am I doing? You know, I I know the feeling. I mean, if you don't have haters, then you're not doing something right. I I think that's a really good um, thing to kind of focus on here is right. You get that first win and, and you're, you've proven so much, but also there's still all these haters. And let's just be honest, like that first half of your first season was kind of rough in terms of the win and loss column. Second half, you guys really picked it up, but was, was that first half of the season just because of how the team was performing? 
um, weighing on you emotionally? A big time. And it's happening. The thing is, again, it's a hard, it's hard for people to understand this though, that like, I mean, and you know this probably because you're a super baseball fan, but minor league baseball, you, you know, you get handed the players and like, I have even, I have way less control than course, people yeah. think, you know, like I'm a coach as a part of a team and I'm a manager because I manage like operations. Um, but I don't like choose players or staff or anything. You just kind of get put with the people that you're with and then they say, good luck. Like, you know, and last year we were very overmatched. Um, and the way the Yankees philosophy is, is we will use at this level, a lot of really young, um, Latin American prospects. Mm. And so while they are talented, they're overmatched for this league. <laughs> um, and that's fine. That's how we, that's how we do things. And we want them to like play up, you know, we want to almost to play up a level so that they are forced to adapt. Right. Uh, which is a really painful process for them and for us. Like they are going to really struggle at first and you have to kind of weather the storm with them and teach and train and, de and develop as a player development system would. Um, so, I mean, it's the same story this year. If you looked at our win loss column, you'd be like, Oh no, like that's got, but they've gotten so much better. And if they were playing a lover level lower, they wouldn't be learning and getting better the way, the way that they are. Yeah. So at the minor league level, or at least I only speak for the Yankees or for us, it's, managers and actually coaches like no one no no coaching staff member is evaluated on wins or losses we're evaluated on um how much better they get right so that is really the measure of just like you just said it's like all right what's our what's our april win loss versus our may win loss versus our june win loss like it's kind of that'd probably be a better measure for us personally um and again like we we've gotten so much better since the beginning of the season and we're we're inching our way back. I think we're close to 500 now, which sounds like a pr pretty low mark, but for how young and inexperienced we are, we feel pretty good about the progress they've made. And that's really what player development is about, you know? That's good. Rachel, uh, before we get into our rapid fire 27th out part of this, uh, this interview, I do have one more question. You mentioned general manager, maybe in the future, what, what, what is like the next step or the ultimate step for you in your career? I always like to say the ultimate step, like the real plan is for me to be um, an Airbnb host sheep farmer in New Zealand. <laughs> and uh, that's good. Forget all about baseball. Uh, but that's like 20, that's 25 years from now. There you go. I would say like 10 years from now, the goal in baseball is to be a general manager. And so said uh we you know i still am handed the staff the players the resources whatever um as a result of what the front office wants and, and gives us and so i want to be you know the front office that's awesome okay rachel are you ready for our 27th out it's our rapid fire questions oh, okay. all right let's do this what is the name and breed of your current pet shelby a german short, short hair pointer awesome what's your favorite pregame meal Favorite pregame meal is definitely, uh, it's, I got to go with steak. All right. Any type of steak? Whatever steak they give us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There you go. Uh, away or home jerseys, which you like sporting. Oh. All home right. jerseys, pinstripes. There we go. Favorite player growing up. Doesn't have to be baseball. Favorite player growing up was Kat Osterman. She's a very famous softball pitcher. Yep. Awesome. Uh, how about favorite player now, baseball? Mm, yeah, play, favorite player now. I 
I would say, you know, I'm, I only can be a fan of players that I've worked with because I'm a fan of them personally, you know? And so I would say that one of my favorite, my, one of my very favorite players would be uh, kind of an under the radar guy's name's Chaz McCormick. He's a, an oh, yeah. outfielder for the Astros. He was in double A when I was there with the Astros. Love He's it. a funny guy. Really, really good, really good guy. Cool. If a movie was made about you, who would you like to play you as the lead role? Like, it depends on what age, but I would say Jennifer Garner. Okay. She's a badass. Yeah, like, I feel like she's been in a few badass movies. Like, she's kind of, she's, like, athletic. She's going to have to lift some weights, though. She's a little too thin. Yeah, that might, yeah, <laughs> that might be true. All right. If you had any of your players or coaches summarize you, Rachel Balkovic, in one word, what would it be? Intense. Okay. Uh, what's one ritual that only your teammates know about you? Okay, I so I thought about this one, and I, you know, I think that this is what, not ritual, but one thing that only my teammates would know about me is that I'm a mad, like, dancer. Like, I love to dance. Any kind of music, and so clubhouse, music's on, whatever, like, I'm, I'm the one, I'm the crazy one in the room that just can't stop moving my body. There you go. That's good. And if you could go back to, I'm going to say 10-year-old version, because you mentioned it earlier, uh, of yourself, what would you say? <laughs> You're going to laugh at this. But I would say, first thing I would say is invest in real estate now. Yes. 12-year-old <laughs> go. Go. Um, version, just go yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I would say, um, I think I was telling myself when I, when I was 10, but I would say, don't listen to them. Mm, that's good. That's good. Simple. Okay. And that is our 27th hour rapid fire. You nailed it. Good job. Uh, but we do have one final question. And it's the final pitch. What legacy do you want to leave on this game, even beyond what you've already done? Um, yeah, I want, I want my legacy to be, I was an innovator. Mm. That is good. Rachel, um, I, I know you're already inspiring people, but I'm hoping that this episode gets out to thousands of not just women and young girls, but also just people and they feel inspired and that the change that you're looking for does happen in the sport um, in all sports, to be honest. So congratulations on what you've already done. Congratulations on the ripple effect that you've already made in this sport. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you. So there you have it, Rachel Balkovic. Great interview, great time that I had with her. And I want to just really encourage you, leave a comment, leave a review, tell us the honest truth. What did you think about this interview? Go on Instagram. We've got a couple clips there too. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, next week, we get Ted Lilly. Okay, lefty from the Cubs. He pitched for the Blue Jays. He pitched for the Yankees. He pitched for the A's. He pitched for the Dodgers. He pitched all over the place. And and he when he pitched for the Cubs, I have a, a pretty close part of that in my heart because that was when I was in college and I remember that was when like the Cubs were really looking like they might actually win a World Series for once took a little bit more a little longer than than uh, expected but I got to go into Ted Lilly's house and have a great conversation with him while my wife and and daughter got to hang out with his kids and this was just a really fun one for me so make sure you stay tuned next week to go check it out make sure you subscribe leave a review do me a favor if you have at least three baseball friends just Click the share button right now and share it with them. They're going to want to see this podcast too. And I want to ask you if you know any MLB guys, current or former, 
and you have the relationship with them and you want to bring them onto the show, do me a favor, DM me on Instagram at setupmanpod or go ahead and email me kyle at setupman.net and I'd love to get an introduction to them and have them on the show. But for now, Setup Nation, that's going to do it for me for this week. I'm going to go put my arm on ice. We'll see you next week. 